overcome, you must educate. Educate not only yourself, but educate anyone seeking to learn. We are all dead America. We can all learn something. To learn, we must challenge what we already understand. The way we do that is through conversation. Sometimes we have conversations with others. However, some of the best conversations happen with ourselves. Reach out and challenge yourself. Let's dive in and learn something right now. And we are happy and lucky to have Julia with us today. Julia, would you introduce yourself and tell people what you do and how you got there? That is always such a good question. <laughs> I am a therapist. So I'm a registered therapist, but then I've also been doing a lot of coaching. So I think I call myself a therapeutic coach um, in, insofar as use kind of a mix of therapy to explore the past and understand the past of people and make peace with their past. And then I help them learn the tools for moving forward and for creating the life that they want and setting their lives up the way that they want them to. So kind of that perfect little mixture of both. And I work with adults. Um, so I don't work with any children. I work specifically with adults and mostly people who are doing okay in life, but want to be doing great, want to be feeling great. Um, so yeah, so just people who are, I, I, I say that a lot of the things that I work with are, are kind of regular people problems, just sort of the problems of everyday living of stress and of expectations and of demands and of just people wanting to be happy. That I think so much of, you know, our existence is about trying to be happy and we don't really know how to do that in a way that is sustainable in a way that is is deep and meaningful and so I help a people or I help people a lot with that and so it looks like dealing with problems but I remember learning this when I was in grad school that the absence of problems doesn't equate to happiness that oh, the absence yes. of problem often just goes unnoticed and if we want happiness, we have to create it. If we want to feel good, we have to be intentional about it. It doesn't just happen on its own. So that's a lot of what I help people with. Yeah, that's very interesting. A lot of that, you know, we all have to set boundaries in life. And that is hard to really learn for a lot of us. We get stuck and we don't quite know how to say no sometimes. And we don't really know when to say yes sometimes. Yes. How, how do yeah. we deal with those things and how do well, we set yeah. those boundaries properly? And, it, and it's super interesting that you talk about that with boundaries, Ed, because I, I say if you have a stress problem, if you have an overwhelm problem, if you have an anger problem, then you have a boundary problem. And most people don't realize yeah. that they have boundary issues. They just think that, you know, I've just got so much to do and there's so many people that want things from me and I've got so much on my plate and I can't keep up with all, it all and there's not enough time in the day. And if that is the script 
that goes to your head or even something like people are always taking advantage of me. Um, no, I'm never being appreciated. I give so much and nobody ever really notices it or appreciates it. And I'm working so hard and I'm not really getting, you know, the response or the praise or um, what I want back. I'm not getting, I'm not getting what I want back in return. And so if that is, those are things that you often say to yourself, then you, my friend, have a boundary problem. And we don't realize it. We don't even know that this is happening. We think it's so many other things. Um, but I love boundaries. <laughs> boundaries yes. are my love language because yes. uh, for me personally, growing up in a really enmeshed family, so that's just sort of a fancy word yeah. for like everyone's, everyone's business was everyone's business. It was just, there wasn't really any real privacy. Um, there was a lot of um, catering to, um, well, I mean, I think it's, it's often, you know, common an issue in a lot of people's stories of their growing up, that there's one parent that has either a mental health issue or an addiction issue. And so the whole family is really just sort of catering to that person. And so yeah. then there becomes a sort of loss of self in the whole process. Your identity becomes fused to the person in your family who was the squeakiest wheel, who everybody else was trying to, um, to accommodate and please and, and stop from upsetting. And so then there becomes this loss of identity. We don't really know who we are because we never really had the chance to decide what we wanted, to decide how we felt. Um, and so then we come, become adult and that doesn't automatically just change. We still have these same beliefs that it's my job to make other people happy. It's my job to do what people want. It's my job to just um, give, give and give and to try to please everybody else. It's my job to be a good person by taking on more and not saying no because saying no means that I'm being selfish or difficult considering myself means that I am being difficult. And so we don't want to have that. We don't yeah. want to have that belief about ourselves. So we try to do all these other things to prevent ourselves from feeling like we are selfish, difficult, self-seeking, you know, bad people. And so that, that's yeah. where the boundary issues come in. Yeah, it was really hard for me to set boundaries in my life. Actually, I didn't get that idea in life until I was in my 30s and setting those boundaries once I figured out hey yeah. I can say no and I can stand up for what I believe in it felt good so yeah. once we find the boundary it kind of sets us free from all of that oh. misery inside <laughs> it's big... and, and I don't know if you understand that but it it really does. It it helped free this disparity inside of me, knowing that, hey, I do have the power inside of me to move myself forward. Absolutely. And yeah, it's incredible that, you know, learning in life, we keep learning and learning Absolutely. to listen. That's one of the keys. When we learn to listen, we can understand how life actually works and it helps us set those boundaries too. So yeah. are there any tips in learning the effective listening? That's well, hard to do. 
Yeah, and I, want, I really want to touch on what you said there, Ed, because I think that that's so important, that we think that boundaries are going to limit us. But the truth is boundaries set us free. Because when we have healthy boundaries, we are acting out of free will. And we think that we have free will, but we don't have free will when we're doing things out of guilt, out of obligation, out of trying to prove something, out of trying to be someone that we're not. That's lying. Mm. And that's not freedom. And so really understanding that boundaries mean that I am consciously making my own choices. And it doesn't mean that we're not generous and we're not giving and we don't look out for other people. Absolutely not. It's not about, you know, this is all about me and I don't care about anyone else. And, you know, that's not what it is. It is, we are relational beings. And so investing in our relationships and being there for people and helping people out and, and giving extra are beautiful things when it is by choice. When it is something that I want to do, not because it's something I have to do, or I'm worried about, you know, people thinking something about me that I don't want them to think if I don't do it. I'm worried about what I'll think about me if I don't do it, if I'm going to think that I'm being a bad person, or that I'm being too selfish, right? Like it's all of these, this mess that we create around our decisions, instead of, I call them making clean decisions. Right? A clean decision is when I'm doing something by choice and understanding the consequence. So let's give an example of something at work. If your boss asks you to take something else on, if the choice is, if I don't take this on, I'm going to be fired, then probably if you want to keep your job, it's a good decision to take that extra thing on. But if it's just because I want to maintain my reputation of being the yes person, of being the person that everyone goes to, of being the person that everyone relies on because that makes me feel good, but in the meantime, I'm also feeling angry and resentful and burnt out and frustrated because I can't possibly keep up with it all, well, then we really have to look at that and be like, okay, is that a clean decision? Because if I'm saying yes because I want to be a quote-unquote team player or like good person, but meanwhile, I'm seething and resentful and frustrated and complaining and overwhelmed. Is that a clean decision? Yeah. I think so often the truth is when we don't allow ourselves to say no, it's because, and this is going to be a really hard truth that's going to smack a lot of people between the eyes, but it's because we would rather feel angry than guilty. Uh-huh. We would rather do something that we don't want to do so that we can be angry and resentful towards that other person for asking us, for quote unquote, making us do it, rather than saying no and feeling guilty because someone else might be disappointed. So we would rather feel yeah, it's angry. It's less accountability at too. It's less, and it's not taking responsibility yeah. for ourselves. Correct. And it's, I mean, I know I sound very... so harsh with this, like, and this is like, I'm coming at you hot with all of this stuff, but I, you know, and it's a lot to take in. And I understand I have been working on boundaries and I'm still working on them. Like you said, you didn't, I didn't start really understanding boundaries. So I was in my late twenties, early thirties. And I remember the first time this might not sound like a yeah. very big deal to most people, but I remember the first time was we were all visiting. Um, we were, you know, all my family was together, my parents, my siblings, and I think this was about, I think it was about six years ago, six and a half years ago when my first, when my daughter, my eldest was a baby. And I remember us all being together and I was staying at my sister's house and my parents were staying at my brother's house because we were all, you know, traveling for Christmas and to their, where they live. And there was one night over the holidays where everyone was going over to my brother's house for supper. Um, 
And it wasn't like a Christmas meal or anything. It was just sort of one of those days in between Christmas and New Year's. And my parents said, oh, we're all going over to Paul's house for supper. Um, let's get ready and go. And I said, I'm going to sit this one out. And the look on my mom's face was like, what do you mean? You're not allowed to do that. We do everything <laughs> together. And I was like, you guys go ahead. You all go ahead. I, you know, me and my husband, I said, I think we just need sort of a quiet night here to just sort of relax. It's been a, we've been doing a lot over the past few days. And we just want to have a quiet evening. And my mom's like, oh, no, it's not going to be the same without you. And like, all this stuff, like with good intention, you know, wanting to like, you know, wanting us to be there and not wanting us to all be together. And of course, good intentions. But I just sort of stuck to my guns. And I said, I, ended, I, I, I will miss you, too. You all go ahead and have a great time. And the look on her face yeah. was just like, she just was confused. Like, we don't do this in our family. We do everything yeah. that, that's expected that everyone's doing. And it was like this moment of freedom, Ed, where I was like, I am allowed to make my own decisions. I'm a 30-year-old woman, and I am allowed to make my own decisions about how I want to spend my time when I'm with my family. And it was like the gates opened up and this just feeling of, of release and freedom for I think, you know, this was a really monumental occasion. I'm sure I had said no to things before in my life. Like, don't get me wrong. But this was this really profound thing because of the family rules. And I think a lot of us have these unspoken family rules that we've just always been going along with without even realizing it, without even knowing it, other than we kind of feel secretly angry and resentful and kind of stuck and trapped in our family relationships because we're just like, I don't have a say or like, I don't, you know, I don't get to choose what I want to do. And, and I always have to just go along with what everyone else wants, right? Like we complain a lot, but then don't, don't actually take a step back and say, okay, but what if it doesn't have to be this way? What if no one is forcing me to do anything? What if no one is making me do it? What if this is a request that I don't have to fulfill? We don't even really think to answer that one. Or even yeah. ask it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the frustration we feel just behind that yeah. little, little tiny bit of our life that puts you on the spot yeah. moment where you have to yeah. decide yes or no, that really plays havoc in people's mind. And totally. that is part of mental health, you know, and that's what oh. we fight and battle against every day that mental yeah. health it it's a big word and a lot of people it holds a stigma and a lot of people don't realize a lot of us probably all of us have a bit of mental health issues and we need to understand how to deal with them properly and setting those boundaries that's key yeah i boundaries are i mean i think boundaries are so I'm going to say it, you know, until the cows come home, but they are so incredibly yes. important. And we create a lot of our own suffering. We have, we, we create the negative impact on our mental health because we are not allowing ourselves to set boundaries because we have all kinds of stories and beliefs and ideas about what it means if we set boundaries. I'm going to be, go even so yeah. far as to say as that most, Ed, is that most of us don't have difficult people in our family. We have a difficult time setting boundaries because boundaries are never about yeah, changing somebody else. Yeah, and and boundaries. I mean, contrary to popular belief, there's a lot of really backwards 
um, information out of there about boundaries and um, a lot of yeah, just a lot of misinformation that boundaries are never about changing someone else. They're never about yeah. trying to get someone else to do what we want them to do. That's manipulation. Yeah. That's not a boundary. A boundary That's hard for people a, to understand too. That is a really hard thing because, you know, we, and, we, and we're going to go super deep here. It's because we think it's our partners, our parents, our kids, our friends. We think it's their job to meet our needs. And so we get yeah. mad when they don't. But the truth is, it is, yeah. no, it is nobody's job to meet our needs except for our own. That people are That's there to share, to share in our experience, to build relationships with, but it's not their job to meet our needs. And so many of us, I know I thought it for so long, and a lot of even couples therapists talk about this, that it's your partner's job to meet your needs. That's codependence. That's not a relationship. That's not a healthy interdependent relationship. That's codependent. That's saying, I want you to take more responsibility for my happiness and well-being than I am willing to do. And we think right. like, oh, my gosh, right? Like we think that like, oh, it's my partner's job to like know what I need, to meet my needs, to be there for me, to drop everything, to know if I'm upset, to like ask me and come and like push and push and push until I finally, you know, open up. They should know that I just need them to keep asking so that I'll open up. They should know that that what I need right now is more important than what they're doing. Can't they see that I'm in pain? They should know. They should know. They should do this. They should be, you know, acting this way. And you know, okay, so we think that, yeah, that's reasonable, that's fair, yeah, that's my partner's job, we're married, and we're in this together, and we have a relationship, but let's stop for a second, and let's reverse that, and let's say your partner came to you and said, it's your job to know what I need, it's your job to read my mind, to drop everything, to see what I'm going through as more important than what you have going on, and I expect you to do that, I think most of us would be like, screw you. It is not yeah. my job to yeah. cater my whole life to you. But it's funny how when the tides are turned, we do that. And this is normal. This isn't about blaming ourselves. This isn't about saying that, oh, my gosh, I'm such a terrible, selfish person for doing this. No, it's just what we learned. It's just what we learned right. growing up. It's just sort of how things probably were at home. Right. There was these expectations at home in our formative years. That's why they're called our formative years, because they're forming how we think and feel about ourselves, others, life and the world. And so we do this and yeah. we continue on with these behaviors, but we don't actually stop and take a step back and realize what's going on. And so boundaries are never about changing someone else. They're about saying, hey, you have a right to do what you do. And in light of that, this is what I'm going to do. So your choice, my choice. Your choice might be to stand there and criticize me and talk down to me. And it's my choice to end the conversation and walk out of the room and not participate. And I might ask you and make a request and say, hey, if you're going to speak to me, please don't use that tone. I don't like that. I don't want that. I don't appreciate that. I'm not willing to engage with you if you're going to talk to me that way. And then the person keeps doing it. You say, okay, I said I'm not willing to engage, so now I'm going to cut off the engagement, and I'm going to remove myself from the situation. Your choice. You can say whatever you want. I can't stop you from words coming out of your mouth. I cannot stop another human being from opening their mouths and having whatever words they want to come out of it. But I can decide whether or not I want to stick around for it. I can decide whether or not I want to be there for it. So that is my choice. A boundary is about saying, this, these are the rules for playing in my yard. And if you don't want to follow those rules, that's totally fine. You're just not welcome to play in my yard. But it's not saying you have 
to do this. It's not about continuously being like, why aren't you doing this? You have to do this. Please do this. You got to do it. And like keeping on and keeping on if the person is absolutely not willing to do that. And it's being able to say, okay, yeah. your choice, my choice. Yeah. And, and the quicker we learn to set those boundaries, the better our relationships are. You know, absolutely. me and my wife, we, we've been working on setting these boundaries and communication skills for a long time. And it's a yeah. never ending process because we're never ending this change process within us and around us. We have to be able to communicate and set the boundaries effectively in order to have these good, upstanding relationships where Absolutely. both people both parties have to feel good and yeah. it's hard for a young man i know especially to put that mindset in order and stand up to the responsibility that's involved in setting these skills and boundaries in a relationship so it's really yeah. hard so um how how can we learn to communicate better, to understand each other's needs, because if we don't understand each other's needs, we can't really effectively set boundaries. So do you have tips and tricks on communication? Can you give me an skill? example of that, Ed? What specifically are you talking about? Well, say me and my wife are in a discussion and we get to an elevated point communication breaks down then so there's got to be tips and tricks to communicate without getting these peaks especially right now i imagine yeah. with everybody isolated you know you get yeah. these angry periods and we mm -hmm. all deal with them yeah. So we have to learn to effectively communicate how we feel. Yeah. And that's hard to do when it's yeah. elevated. So bringing it back down and getting and staying on point. Yeah. What is the trick and how oh. can we effectively <laughs> do that? <laughs> you know, that that's is a, a hard that question well yeah i wish i could sum up just a few like i mean one in a one-shot deal but like ultimately <laughs> the what we want to be doing is building our own emotional intelligence and knowing what's going on inside of us and taking full responsibility for our own experience and our own feelings and our own emotions and sometimes that means taking a break if we notice ourselves getting really worked up being able to take a break and take a breath and take a step back because when we're in the height of anger, right, when, when it's like five alarm bells, we're like seeing red, that's not a great time to try and have a reasonable conversation and work things out because our, we're in, we're actually in fight or flight mode, we're in survival mode. And it really can be, you know, a, a, um, an experience of take no prisoners, right? Like, I am going to fight this mm -hmm. battle to the death, because I literally, my brain win. feels like my life is on the line. Right? Like our brain is in fight or flight mode. When we just start freaking out and spouting off and, you know, like we just become these like, this is the devil incarnate. Wait, I know, I know I've done it where I just like feel you don't feel like possessed and taken over and you just get like that shaking feeling where you're like, I have to win this argument. Yes. And 
right? Like it just takes over. And it's because we are in fight or flight mode. That's why you're shaking. It's because adrenaline is pumping. Your brain thinks that you are in immediate danger. And so it's trying to protect you. And you think that if you can like ward off the enemy, which you think is your partner in those moments, you can ward off the enemy with, with, with verbal weapons, then you'll survive. And so it's just sort of understanding what's happening in the human brain when we get to those peaks of emotion. And we can't actually intervene at the cognitive level at that point. We can't actually think clearly, which is why you're like, I just, I don't know what happened. I just like felt like I just got taken over and all the stuff started coming out of my mouth and I felt out of control. And absolutely you're out of control because your, your limbic system, your fight or flight response, your survival instincts are kicking in and they're not, it's not in control. And so that's when we have to recognize when we're getting heightened and it's really hard to do and it takes a lot of practice and I still don't catch it every time is learning how to take a breath. Like, and this sounds so simple and it sounds so stupid. Be like, what, you're going to tell me to breathe? And absolutely, I'm going to tell you to yeah. breathe. There's so much research about how powerful the breath is, not only for managing our, our anger, but for managing all of our emotions. Because when we're in that fight or flight mode, we don't have any oxygen in our brain because all of it, what well, we do, we have some, but all the blood is being sent to our limbs and away from our core because it's getting ready to run like heck or to like stick up the dukes and fight for your life. Mm -hmm. And so if we can intervene at the physical level, then we can start to calm things down a little bit. If we can take a breath, take a few deep breaths, and then your that sends oxygen back up into your brain. It sends blood black back into your core. And so your body starts to have a more calm response, which then also sends that message to your brain that's like, okay, we might not be in imminent danger right now. My partner not, not cleaning up the dishes might not mean that I'm going to die. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And so then, you know, like we start to breathe and then we're able, like we might feel angry and annoyed and frustrated, but at least then we're not in that red alarm zone. And we're able to just take a step back and okay, say, okay, what's going on here? We're able to actually rationally say, I'm feeling annoyed. I'm feeling angry. My expectations weren't met. And this is so much of what I teach in all communication is you always have to own it. Other people are not doing things against you. They are doing them for them. So your partner not cleaning up the kitchen after they made themselves some lunch is not a screw you. Right. Like it's not to piss yeah. you off. It's just that they didn't feel yeah. like doing it in that moment because they wanted to sit down and eat their lunch or they didn't really even notice it because they're not that naturally clean person. Or they had in their mind, like, I'll just wait till all the dishes pile up by the end of the day and do it all at once because that's more efficient. Right. Like they had their own idea and it wasn't about a screw you to you. Right. Yes. And but we see it and we're like, oh, my gosh, obviously, my partner is being a big jerk right now. They know how much I like when things are clean and I, how much I annoyed I get when the kitchen is a mess because then I can't get in here. I can't do my own thing. I can't make my own lunch. They did this on purpose, but they absolutely didn't. Unless your partner is pissed at you and they're trying to, you know, do something against you. Well, then you have an issue you need to sort out. But most right. of the time, your partner isn't sucking on purpose, even though we think they are. And so being able to recognize that and say, I don't like it when the kitchen is a mess, but they might be fine with it. So if I have a problem with it, it's my problem. It's not their problem. And this is such a hard one for, for us to understand too, is we're like, what? No, it's their problem. No, it's not their problem. They don't have a problem with it. You have a problem with it. I have a problem with it. I have a problem 
with a messy kitchen. I own it. I hi, my name is Julia, and I hate messy kitchens. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna confess yeah. that. And but my partner doesn't really. It doesn't bother him. It doesn't really. He doesn't really notice it. And so I can communicate that desire. It's not a need, right? So much we say like, I need you to clean up after yourself. No, you don't need them to do it. It's not a matter of life and death. This isn't a survival thing, right? You'd like them to. You'd prefer it if they would. Being able to say, I would like it. I I appreciate it. I really like a clean kitchen. I find it hard to come into the kitchen and there to be a big mess. So I'm wondering if you could make a point of cleaning up after yourself. Is that reasonable? Is that fair? Is that something you're willing to try or do and understanding that they're still not going to do it every time because it's not important to them? They're going to forget because it's not front of mind because it's not relevant to them, but they're going to try, but it doesn't mean they're going to do it perfectly every time. I think that's the other thing we have to recognize is you, I know here's so many people say, well, I've asked them to do it so many times and they still don't do it every time. And yeah, that's because they don't really care. And it's not fair to say that someone else should care as much about something that you care about, right? They shouldn't care as much about it as you care about it because they don't. That's, and so again, if the, if the roles were reversed and if your partner came to you and said, you have to care about this as much as me. If you don't care about it as much as me, that means you don't really love me. You'd be like, screw you. I do love you. This just isn't important to me. Can't you understand that? Right? And so, yeah. but we... we we have this double standard where we expect our partners to anticipate and meet all of our needs and to know what we want and to, to have what, what to, as it, for what's important to us be just as important to them. But again, that's not healthy. That's not helpful. And if the roles were reversed, we wouldn't want to do that for them. And so it's really just being able yeah. to say, if I have a problem with something, it's my problem. I can ask for um, a behavior change. I can ask them to do something different. And they can decide whether or not they're willing to. And even if they say they are willing to, they might not do it every time. And I just have to be conscious of that and not see it. Right? We take so much personally. We think everything is a personal attack on us. Everything is about us. But 99.9% of the time, it's not against us. It is for them. The other person just doing things the way that they do it and not seeing that the way that we want it or the way that we do it is important because it's not important to them. The way they do it is important to them. I think that's such a huge thing. And that takes away so much of the anger and resentment and bitterness. Then you can actually have a conversation when you don't think your partner is being a jerk on purpose. Then you can just sit back and be like, okay, here's what I need or here's what I want. Here's what I like. Here's what helps me. Are you willing or what are you willing to um, do to support me in that? And not saying you have to do everything that I want you to do in the way that I want you to do, because, again, that's not a relationship. That's a dictatorship. And also asking your partner, what's important to you? What is important to you? Are there things that I'm doing that I could be more aware of, that I could put more of an effort into, that I could be changing or modifying, that are things that you would like? So that two-way street kind of thing where we're um, working together on stuff, but not expecting that our partner meet our needs, fulfill our dreams, fix us, make it better, do what we want them to do all the time. Because like I said, that's both codependence and a bit of a dictatorship. (laughs) Yeah, I, I think a lot of us find it easy 
to be codependent because yeah. then we don't have to own up to it, like yeah. you said. And that responsibility is a big key. And yeah. another big factor in that is when we deal with the opposite sex, we don't always see things mutually because yeah. we have different ideas. We have different mindsets and we're built differently. Just human beings. Uh, you know, exactly. We're different general. people. Uh, so, yeah, anytime we deal with another individual, we have to learn to communicate. So the yeah. big key there is finding out your partner's ideas. And sometimes I get I, I don't know how to say it, really, but, you know, I don't want to offend people. When, when I say, hey, I don't like this about you, and if I offend people, I don't really mean to, but I'm a direct type of person, and sometimes I don't really notice the aggressiveness in my tone or my stature that I'm taking in my body language, and sometimes my wife, she feels like I'm attacking her. When I'm not really attacking her, I'm just trying to get my point across. And I know we all deal with that. One side is usually more timid than the other. Is that correct? I don't know if that's true or not. One side, say that again, one side is more timid. Well, yeah. I mean, oh man, that, that goes into so many things. Um, because it's again that is your yeah, there's a fine line in here because it's your yeah. wife like you being worried about accidentally offending your wife when you had no intention of that and her allowing herself to be offended by your words saying to someone else you have to speak to me in a certain way so that I can be okay is saying, well, like, I can't manage my own mind, uh, so I need you to manage it for me. And, I, I mean, you can make a request. The other day, my mom made a comment that I, they, that I got offended by, and I made a request. I said, Mom, I said, I understand that you probably weren't meaning it this way, but when you said that, it, it sounded really judgmental. And here's why I found that hard. And right, so I owned it and I didn't say you're being so rude or you're so inconsiderate. I was like, hey, this is how I interpreted it and this is why I found it hard. Um, I'm asking that you be more sensitive around that or just sort of understand my perspective on it. But ultimately, it's I got offended because of what I made what she said mean. And so you can make a request of your partner, but not saying, oh, my gosh, my partner's making me so angry. My partner's making, you know, my partner's hurting my feelings. Well, the reason why we're angry and our feelings get hurt is because of what we make, what they're saying and how they're saying it mean. But like, Ed, this is a whole other like, this is emotional intelligence 4.0. Like this is advanced, advanced stuff yeah. that usually people who are, you know, in my programs for like months and we're really doing this deep work and developing this emotional intelligence and this understanding of ourselves, you know, really getting down to it. But this is, this doesn't come until that. But I think we can be conscious of our partner's communication preferences 
but it's uh. also not healthy to feel like we're walking on eggshells whenever we're around our partner, right? Like, oh my gosh, everything that I say, they take personally, they get offended by, but that's not my intention. So then it is up to the other person to be able to take a step back and be like, okay, if my partner has these good intentions and I'm being offended by everything that they say, then maybe the call is coming from inside the house. Maybe I need to be doing my own work around why I'm getting so offended by how my partner speaks and acts, right? Because like what my partner is doing is just what they're doing. Why am I taking it as something against me or something? um, Yeah, like why am I taking it personally? They're just doing their thing and they're not trying to hurt me and they're not trying to um, offend me. So maybe I need to start doing a bit of my own work and ask myself why everything is bothering me so much. Personal discovery. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that's that depth, that deep level of emotional intelligence and also doing our own healing, understanding that our partner is just hitting. Oftentimes our partner is just hitting our old triggers, our old wounds, right? It has nothing to do with them. It has to do with our own wounds that have not been healed. And I love this analogy that I heard one time is that we're all walking around in life with thorns sticking out of our body. And the thorn is, the pointy side is pointing in and the butt end is on the surface and it's just slightly raised above the surface. And if anyone comes by and brushes up against the butt end of that thorn, it's going to poke in on something in us. So it's our thorns. These are our thorns. Ah, uh, yeah. Haven't, Interesting. That haven't That's a out. good, yeah. And I, I'm big on that, always looking at yourself and identifying the problems within yeah. and pulling them out. That's a big one on any discovery. So yeah, we've we've been at this for a little bit already. We can go really deep into stuff and oh, get yeah. lost pretty quick, <laughs> you know. But I know you do a lot of different things with people. And you have a lot of things going on out there. I know the courses are wonderful. You do YouTube. How do people get in touch with you? How do they get involved with you? And how can they better themselves by listening to you? Well, I think the big thing, and I know you had said this, that you had taken my Speak and Feel Heard Effective and Assertive Communication Masterclass uh, or workshop. And that is a really great one. It really goes and gives sort of an outline and an understanding of a lot of what I talked about here today. And it has a workbook along with it. And it has like graphs and things that sort of, I mean, yeah, it just helps it really lay it out. So it starts to make a lot more sense. And it has scripts in there of how to say things and how to communicate, how to get sort of more clear on what we're thinking and feeling and how to communicate that with the people around us and it has little step-by-step processes for developing that emotional intelligence. It's a super jam-packed workshop and it's a really low cost one as well. So that's a great place to get started. Um, If communication and building emotional intelligence and just having healthier, better relationships is something that's important to you, um, that that is that is an amazing place to start. And then the other thing to be able to do some of this emotional intelligence work ongoing, 
and really understanding our own emotions and our own minds and understanding what's going on in our brains and when we are um, getting offended or hurt or when we are people pleasing or um, you know, taking too much on, like whatever it is, is really understanding our brains and why they work the way that they do and why we do the things that we do. I have a membership community called the Shift Society, and it's a monthly membership where I teach all of these tools. And it's like full support from me and in the private community. And we do coaching calls, we do Q&A sessions, there's um, pre-recorded uh, lessons in a course portal that you have access to to watch anytime. So it's really like where the human brain needs to be, especially right now at this time in history. I think everyone's brains need to be in the shift society because our brains are going bonkers. Our brains are going crazy and it's hard, but it doesn't have to be that hard if we know how to manage our minds, no matter what's going on around us. So that's what I teach in the shift society. So those are the two kind of main things I would recommend. And we find you at juliacristina.com? Yeah, that's my website. Um, yeah, juliacristina.com. And it has links on there to all my social media channels. I've been doing a lot more on Instagram lately and kind of just showing on Instagram stories how um, how we're coping <laughs> with being pretty housebound. And I've got I have three small children, but two of them are home and one of them, um, my oldest is staying with my parents, which has been this, a massive blessing. Um, and it's been good for everyone. Uh, but it's been hard, right? It's been hard not having my daughter here. She's been there for almost a month. Um, but yeah, just how we are coping in our 860 square foot apartment in the middle of Vancouver with a two-year-old and a five-year-old and me and my husband and us both working full-time. That has been an adventure. <laughs> yes. Uh, I live in a 920 square foot place and I have a force to go walk in, get away from it all. So those Lovely. people that are stuck in town, yeah, I really feel for them because it is frightful right now. And I want to thank you, Julia, for taking the time out. You're a wonderful person. You do wonderful things. And we are just so lucky to have had you here to share all of your wonderful knowledge with us. Thank you oh, for it's been joining my pleasure. us. Thank you, Ed. And with that being said, folks, that was Julia. All the links and everything will be in the show notes. Enjoy your day. And thank you for being with us, Julia. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. If you found this podcast enlightening, entertaining, educational in any way, please share, like, subscribe, and join us right back here next week for another great episode of Dead America Podcast. I'm Ed Waters, your host. Enjoy your afternoon, wherever you may be.